Today I'd like to introduce this message. Uh, today it's called, uh, we're not going to put it up on the screen yet, but Heaven is God's Welcome Home Mat. Heaven is God's Welcome Home Mat. And before we uh, before I get started today in Romans chapter 8, I'd like to, uh, sh- we'd like to share a song with you. It's it's a song that's been around a while. I think it was written in 1999. It was originally sung by Robin Mark. He's one of my favorite singers. He's just a great guy from Ireland. And uh, but uh, this particular, ver- I mean, this is going to be sung by uh, uh, Don Don Moen. And uh, it's really a song that is um, causes us to really pause and reflect on why we're here and why God has us go through the troubles we do as well as uh, it's a, it helps us to get a perspective on what really matters. I hope it'll be a blessing to you as you, as you listen. When it's all been said and done There is just one thing that matters Did I do my best to live for true? Did I live my life for you? When it's all been said and done
Amen. I hope you're able to hear the words and just to distinguish those words today that all these trials, all the things that we go through, that uh, when it's all been said and done, the Lord's purpose is to show us that heaven is really our true home. And to put that in perspective and to uh, take action, take the action that's necessary to make sure that that, that is how we live, that we live with uh, heaven as our, as our true goal. Amen? Amen. Um, today I'd like for us to just look at this, this uh, issue here of heaven being really God's welcome home mat to us. His welcome home mat to us. And in Romans chapter 8, very familiar verse of scripture, but it just is so uh, significant in showing us that, that God's purpose is working, uh, working in us, uh, working all of our troubles, working all of our doubts, all of our difficulties, working with us patiently and kindly. And uh, like Bill said, he, when we fall, he picks us up and we stumble, but he guides our steps. And he, he sometimes has to rebuke us maybe and chastise us. But his point, his goal is, his goal is to get us to where he is to, in eternity, to get us home. And the Apostle Paul is, I think, speaking of that right here. He says, we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. Think of all the things that we go through, and he's working for the good of us who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called, and those he called, he also justified, and those he justified, he also glorified. So Paul is telling us here that God... Even before the world was created, really, he knew who would be saying yes to him. He knew those who, those who would be saying no to him. And those who would say yes to him, he'd already had a plan for them. He predestined them to be conformed to the image of his son. That the gospel that he was giving us, that the purpose for Jesus' coming, loved ones, was this, is that, that there'd be something that would happen within us, those who would say yes to Christ, that there would be a transformation take place inside our lives, and that our hearts would be changed from darkness to light, from death to life, and that we would be patterned, our values, our characters, our thinking would, be, would become patterned after Jesus' way of thinking, his pattern, his character, his values. That's, that's the goal. And those he predestined, well, we're going to talk about how he called us and how he justified us how he glorified us too. Lord, we pray today that as we look at your word, that we'll just be, uh, we'll just marvel at the wonder of your love and goodness to us. Pray that, Lord, you, we will see your intentions. We will see the, the loving kindness of your intentions toward us and that, and that we will simply, uh, surrender ourselves, Lord, anew in, uh, just allowing you to work in us and, just making that commitment that to persevere and to endure through um, all of our difficulties, that we might live for truth, as the song was saying. We might live for truth and seeing that that, is, uh, that truth is your truth and that we might understand that, that heaven is really your, your intention for us. And that's why we're going through what we're going through here on this earth in Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Men. You know, the apostles and many, for many first century Christians, they discovered the glorious wonder of a personal one-on-one -on -one relationship with God. 
that was just totally something brand new to them. Before Jesus, did you know this? Before Jesus, people who were serious about Yahweh, that's God's old te- God's name, His old na- it was de- uh, revealed to us in the Old Testament, uh, God's Old Testament name, Yahweh, uh, people obeyed uh, God's commands uh, as best they could. They they uh, offered the necessary sacrifices at the temple. They uh, they performed the necessary feasts. There was like seven Jewish feasts. They, they uh, celebrated those. They followed the laws to the best of their ability, God's laws to the best that they possibly could. But they had no inward contact with God. There was, it's like God was on the outside. There was no intimate relationship with God. It, it was, it was uh, basically kind of a, uh, I'm going to obey his rules. His rules were on the outside and I'm going to do the best I can. But the laws of God, well, the promise was, uh, in uh, that he would actually come into one's uh, soul, that invisible part of us, that God's spirit would actually enter into us um, when the Messiah would come and he would miraculously write God's laws that were on the outside one time, he would write them on our souls. There'd be a a change that uh, we would have this change in our lives where we would want to obey God. We, it would be a a desire to want to honor him and please him. And it would give us pleasure when we did it, and he would. Uh, we would know uh, how to uh, how to honor him because his laws would be written in our hearts. And I tell you, this was so different that it was called the new covenant between God and man. It would be like, well, this is what the Bible says. It'd be like being born all over again, born from above, brand new, new birth, a new life, the sinful past all forgiven, one's conscience. The guilty conscience that we'd have would be given peace because our guilt, our, our, our shame would be erased. All the wrongdoing against God would be forgotten and erased. There'd be actual spiritual transaction that would take place. Something would change in us. The Messiah's sacrificial death for us, that is, on our behalf, would provide a new experience in our lives, loved ones, that, 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 that no one before Jesus' death on the cross ever experienced. We're kind of used to it now. We, we don't want to take it for granted, but, you know, uh, in, the, in the temple, for example, in the temple, there was a, a veil that measured 30 feet by 30 feet. I'm, it's somewhat pictured here, this blue, big blue curtain veil thing here. This separated the, the uh, behind that veil is the place called the holiest, uh, you know, the holiest of the holies. It's, 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 it's a holy place. And, um, no one was allowed to go back there, as you well know, except the high priest once a year. The Ark of the Covenant was back there. That was, that was supposed to be the place where God's presence dwelt, and his holy presence was there. No one was allowed to go in there because of our sinfulness. We would be destroyed if we went past that veil. This thing, it, it, uh, um, it symbolized that the way to an intimate fellowship with God or intimate friendship with God, it was blocked because of God's great holiness and because of our great sinfulness. It was blocked. At the precise moment, the Bible tells us in in Matthew and Mark, that at the precise moment of Jesus' death on the cross, get the picture here, when Jesus was dying on the cross, and when he died, there was no sunlight at all. It was pitch black. It was like midnight. 
Roman uh, historical documents say that the chickens, they roosted <laughs> because they thought it was night. It was complete darkness. The earth began to shake and tremble. The Bible says when Jesus died. So picture this. It's complete darkness. People have, they have lanterns trying to get home. They're trying to find their way home. And the earth is trembling as Jesus died. And the Bible tells us that, that um, well, at that very moment, this special veil right here that separated God's presence from all the rest of us, it tore. It tore in half. It was torn in half. It was a, it was a really thick veil. It was 30 by 30, and the, uh, historians tell us it was four inches thick. I don't know how, that, how they made that thing, but four inches thick. 30 by 30, and um, it was said that two horses couldn't pull the thing apart. But uh, the, the veil, again, uh, no one was allowed to enter that holy place, but the veil represented here being torn, that it was torn from the top to the bottom, not from the bottom to the top. It wasn't torn just halfway down. It wasn't torn just two-thirds of the way down. The Bible says it was torn in half completely. In other words, God was... You know, for the first time, saying, because of Jesus' death on the cross, you are allowed by faith to have a relationship with me that mankind has not had up to this this point. Yeah, only God could take care of all the details that would, would require us to be made worthy to enter his presence and to know him. Again, the Bible says that it was, that it was torn completely in half. In other words, the welcome mat was now open. To be where God is. To dwell with where God is. God was inviting us to come live with Him. God was saying to each of us, I've made a way to me open now through my Son Jesus. I have provided all you need to be able to know me. Not just about me, but to actually know me. To experience who I am. One-on-one relationship. Intimately as a loving father and his child. And when Jesus died and the temple veil was torn in two from top to bottom, God is actually saying again, you are welcome to live with me forever. Heaven is now your home. Heaven is where you belong. Heaven is my welcome mat to you. Isn't that beautiful? God's saying to us in Jesus that you belong to me now and I want you to be with me. We actually have that promise, don't we? In the book of Revelation, we have this wonderful promise. And, and uh, this verse means so much to me. Where it says, uh, God, look, God, is, his dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself huh, will be with them and be their God. Isn't that cool? I, God's with us now, but not in the sense he's going to be with us then. When we're in heaven, he's going to be with us. When we're on the new earth, he's going to be with us in a different way than he is now. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, mourning, or crying, or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. And that's just another word, loved ones, another way of saying, we will be perfect. Right now, we are imperfect. Sometimes we don't always think so straight. Sometimes we don't always feel so straight. Sometimes our emotions are all cattywampus. Neat little word. Sometimes our bodies, as you well know, just aren't performing the way we want them to. But in that day, the 
old order of things are going to be passed away and everything will be made perfect like he is perfect. Amen. When Jesus prayed for his disciples, you know, he prayed in John chapter 17, prayed for his disciples and for us. Remember what he said? He said, Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am. <laughs> Isn't that cool? And to see my glory and the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Loved ones, that is God's, God's ultimate goal. His ultimate longing for us is right there that we will be with him forever. Isn't that amazing? Jesus said that uh, God calls to many through that open door, through that, that torn veil, that God calls to many um, through that, you know, to come into his presence. In fact, Matthew chapter 22, verse 14, I've got it down here for you. It says, many are called or invited, but few are chosen. What's he talking about there? There's a, it's just another way of saying that God's invitation, um, you know, to be with him forever is extended to everyone, but only a few actually desire to come to be with him on his terms. In comparison, Jesus said, the ones who want to come and, and be with God on his terms, are the, it's a small number compared to the vast number of people who say no to that. Have you ever thought about how special it is to be called by God? Have you ever thought about that? It's worth thinking about. It's worth just pausing and think, thinking about. It's very special to be called to be with God. Very special. To know Him. To belong to Him. Think about it. Before you came to know Jesus, there was no way. There's no way you could, you could breach that that chasm, that you could hop over it to, to know him. You had no desire to. You didn't understand even how to do it. But when he began to deal with us, when he began to deal with you and convict you of your sins, you realized I needed to, you needed to repent. And when you did, although you didn't know what he was going to do, you suddenly you were forgiven of your sins and there was a peace that came to your life and you knew that something had changed inside you. It's very special to be called by God, isn't it? To, to uh, have a, his invitation be given to you. He, you know, he would, uh, and then conform your, your, probably I think when we get saved like that, it's the greatest jump to Christ likeness that we'll ever make. You know, where we're just totally not for God and then all of a sudden we are for him. And what a sudden transformation. What a sudden Christ-likeness that takes place in our life. So much so we freak people out who aren't, who aren't used to us, you know, because we're happy about what's happened to us and uh, they don't understand. But, but uh, the word conform, you know, that he says that God's pat his desires to conform us to the image of his son. Um, it just simply means to make us look like Jesus, not, not outwardly, but, but to, uh, you know, although we're going to have a glorified body like his one of these days, but to have a heart, our heart, our soul, patterned after his, that it looks like his. And God uses all the hard things, all, all the struggles, Paul says, all the days of evil that the devil means for bad in our lives. God is somehow able to work those, to, to knit them, to crochet them, if you will, to, to, to work them in such a way, around in such a way, that his goodness and his grace uh, works in us instead of the devil's intentions. How does he do that? How is he able to take my trials 
and to make me more patient, to make me more loving, to make me, if you will, more of a, a, a clear example of his righteousness. How is he able to do that? But he does. He's able to do that. He's able to, to work, uh, work in our lives like that. And, and because we've been called, you know, we've answered that call. We've said yes to him. We've gotten off the broad road and we've gotten on the narrow path. You know, that path that Jesus made for us, the path of righteousness in this world, because we've, we've followed that, that calling that he's given us. The Apostle Paul tells us that, well, we've been justified in God's law book, in his eternal law book that he has in heaven with all of our names. We all have a record there. Everybody does. As soon as you were born, there's a new record put in, you know. As soon as I was born, January 25th, 1958, there was this David L. Cox. And that's, how, that's what my dad named me and my mom named me. So that's, there's a record in heaven now. And there was all these sins because I had plenty of them. All the sins are recorded that I, I committed up until age 14. And when I surrendered to Jesus, they were, they were erased. With the blood of the Lamb, with the blood of Christ, with his death on the cross, I was forgiven. Yeah, forgiven. And it's, God had to do, it's, and he, he justified me. He, he made it just like I had never sinned before. That's what the word means. He made it, he raced all the penalty against me. He forgave the, all my breaking of his law. And he justified me. He made it just like I had never sinned before. And, and there's plenty of verses that talk about how he, he forgets my sins. He forgets your sins. He throws them in the sea of his forgetfulness, doesn't he? And uh, his mercies are more than his judgment there. Well, loved ones, the, you know, we're, we're justified and then we're, we're honed and shaped daily by the Holy Spirit to glorify God with the life that he has given us. It's just, a, it's just amazing how God works in us. I the goal that God has for each of you is to respond to his invitation, of course, by trusting in his one and only son as our only savior, as our only hope. Trusting nothing else ever for your eternal home. That's what surrendering to Jesus means. I'm trusting nothing else ever. Never will I trust anything but Jesus. For when you said yes to him, he immediately justified you. That is, again, he forgave you of all the record of your sins against you, and he wrote not guilty on the page. Not guilty. And gave you the righteousness of Jesus. That is, the right relationship Jesus has with the Father has been given to us as well when we believe. Now the Holy Spirit leads you. Now the Holy Spirit leads me daily, calling you to stay in step with him, to stay in the light as he is in the light, as we learn from the word, as we are walking with the Lord. We, he says, walk in the light as I am the light. And we're forgiven of our sins and we're, and we're made more and more uh, righteous. Where it's visible. I should say the righteousness of Jesus is seen more clearly in our life. The Holy Spirit is our wonderful guide, the Bible says, our guide. He guides us in truth. He's our teacher. He teaches us the ways of Christ. He's our comforter. When things are going really terribly and we're trying to hang on to Jesus, he comforts us and encourages us. He's also our sanctifier. He helps us to see 
that that we didn't realize our th our our thinking was clouded, and we were still uh, we've been patterned by the world for so long. We have to unlearn the patterns of the world, and so He sanctifies us too. He teaches us well to unlearn sinful ways, sinful patterns, and to learn new ways of thinking, thinking like Jesus. That's called sanctification, and He sanctifies us because He's the He's the teacher of truth. The Holy Spirit is. Amen. So why? Be Again, it's all because God is leading you home. That's all this is all about. God is leading you home. He's leading you to uh, through that veil eventually to, to be with Him. That's what the Christian life is all about, isn't it? Uh, to ultimately be glorified. And that's what Paul says. First, God calls us. He justifies us. And then He's going to glorify us. We're not there yet. We're just in that justified state. We're still in the process of being sanctified and uh, being made more Christ-like. But his intention is that he's going to glorify us eventually. That is the ultimate thing. He's going to, uh, uh, the purpose of your trials and is to allow God to mold us into the image of his son so much as possible, as much as possible as here in this world. And then finally to go home and be made perfect spiritually, perfect intellectually, perfect emotionally, perfect bodily. Everything that is, is wrong with us <laughs> will be made perfect there. I tell you, our emotions won't be clouded. Right now they're clouded. It's hard for any of us to think about how we could be happy in heaven if we know someone we loved is, is lost. It won't be a problem there. Your emotions will be so perfected that you'll see that all that matters in the whole universe is the glory of God. And anybody who didn't want to glorify Him deserves to be punished. Now you can't think, you, you can't imagine that could ever happen. But in heaven we'll be so perfect, we'll see that all that matters in this world is to glorify God, the creature to glorify the Creator. Amen. It's hard for us now to imagine that. But that's what it means. That's why there'll be no tears in heaven. We'll forget how to cry. Because we'll have eternal life. We'll have the Father. We'll understand what real love. I mean, we'll see so clearly the wonderful love of God. And we'll say, every wickedness deserves to be punished. Right now, we're all befuddled, though, at times. We see through a glass darkly, Paul says. We're befuddled intellectually. We don't always think straight. We Emotionally, we're kind of, again, cattywampus there. Physically, we're falling apart. Spiritually, sometimes we're, we're kind of weak, and we stumble a lot. But there, we're going to be perfected. Uh, you know, what does it mean to be glorified? When I was a boy... One year I was introduced, I think it was my grandmother who introduced me to something new at Thanksgiving that she made. It was called glorified rice. <laughs> uh, you know, rice is kind of bland, isn't it? It's not uh, when you just eat it plain. But I tell you, the way Grandma made it, she added so much Cool Whip to it that, man, it was good. It was sweet and yummy. And one thing I noticed about glorified rice, that it kind of dried out after about 10 minutes. You had to add more Cool Whip to it, you know. So she had tubs of Cool Whip. She was always pouring into that, that glorified rice. But uh, uh, glorified rice, though, is, uh, is it's, you know, it's, uh, it's kind of bland. Uh, I should say rice is kind of bland. But when you add that Cool Whip, when you glorify it, 
When you glorify it, it is sweet and yummy. And so when God glorifies you, think about it. When he glorifies you, he's going to take away all the bland, dull imperfections in our lives, all the stuff that sin ruined, all the stuff that sin ruined. And boy, let me tell you, it has ruined a lot. Job informed us that God is the great giver and the great taker. He gives and he takes away. Well, my friends, let me tell you, when God glorifies us, he's going to take away all the things that sin and this world and the devil have ruined in our lives. And he will give us all those wondrous things that Jesus purchased for us on the cross. Right now, we only have been partially perfected. We've only been partially given what Jesus has purchased for us on the cross. We only have a foretaste of it. We, we only have a, a sampling of it in our lives. The theologians put it like this. When Jesus first became our Savior, we were saved from our sins. Amen? We were saved from our sins. We were saved from sin and from hell. We were saved from being punished in hell. We no longer are children of hell. We're children of heaven. We're no longer sinners. We're saints. Amen. We're saved. You know, you know, at the cross, when I first saw the light, remember that? Yeah. And the burden of my heart rolled away. It was there by faith I received my sight. And now I am happy. All the day, we were saved when we encountered Jesus, when we asked him to be our savior. Um, however, as we walk through this world, as we walk through this life, we're being saved also. This is what theologians would help us to understand about our salvation, is that we're in the process of being saved. We're saved, but we're also in the process of being saved, or we're being sanctified. We're, being, we're, 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 we're becoming more Christ-like. The things that we are doing at the beginning of our walk with Jesus, as we grow smarter in the Bible and smarter in the Spirit, we realize, hey, there's some things I need to stop doing. You know, I need to stop doing some, some of these bad habits. They're not honoring Jesus. I need to get rid of these bad habits. And that's called sanctification. You're becoming if you will, more saved. <laughs> You're reflecting more clearly what God is doing in your life. So we're, we're being saved. And then there'll come a time when we will be fully saved. When Jesus comes back, we're no longer going to be looking through a glass darkly with imperfect eyesight, with imperfect thinking, with frail human habits, no longer struggling with sickness, no more disease, no more weakness at all, no more limping, no more failed eyesight, uh, no more cancer, no more issues with our bodies at all, no longer struggling with any of these things, no longer, no longer hurt by people who have hurt our feelings and we're and we're sorrowful because our parents may have failed us or our kids are hurting us or whatever it might be. Our friends are letting us down or all the ugliness of war, all the, the murder, the sexual misconduct, the hate, the profaneness that goes on in this world, the sorrow, the grief, the sadness, the tears, all those things will instantly vanish. I'm talking to you, instantly vanish when we cross that welcome mat into his presence. Boy, I like that. 
when Jesus returns, all things will become new. Revelation 21.5 says, He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new, <laughs> the new uh, has come. The old is gone. Philippians 1.6, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Jesus' return. Amen. So be glorified means to have completely, uh, you know, what Jesus purchased on the cross for us. Amen. Loved ones, when, when God called me to, let me just close here. When, when God called me to leave the broad path, it was, um, it was the most wonderful thing in my life. It was the, uh, I've had a lot of happy things happen to me. You know, I have a lot of treasured experiences in my life. The, the joy of family, uh, the marriage to Becky, uh, the birth of my children, grandchildren. Those are the, just the greatest treasures, really. This rich blessing of, of, of family as well as church family. Many Christian friends and family. But nothing compares to that moment when I met Jesus. Nothing. I could, it could be argued that it's only because of that encounter that I've had all the other greatness, great blessings. It's because of the blessing in Him that I, that I first had. When I, when I was first saved, uh, two year, it was two years later, I was 16 years old. I remember the time in youth camp when God called me to be a pastor. It was such a clear calling. I was just sitting there, preacher was talking and, and saying that God has calls people to service, and I was just sitting there, not thinking about anything. I was I was planning to be like an electrician. I was planning. I mean, I, was, I mean, I was 16 years old. I was thinking about what I was going to do with my life. I was going to work in the field of electronics. I was going to work with electricity, that kind of thing. I I just love that. I love working with that stuff. And um, God said, I I just clearly I heard it. I said, uh, I want you to be a pastor. I thought, is that you, Lord? And he said, Yeah, I, I want you to be a pastor. So my calling to be saved came also with a calling to pastor. My salvation is tied up with my calling. If I was not to pastor, my faith would be shipwrecked. I know you may not understand that if unless you're called to what I'm if you never experienced this, but I've asked God many times when I was younger, please, can I get out of this? I don't want to do this. People hurt you. Sometimes the best you have the best intentions of wanting help, and man, they can really just rip you to shreds, you know. And I, being young and thin-skinned, it was hard to do sometimes. I didn't want to continue doing it. I remember asking God, I don't want to. I will, I'll still serve you. I just don't want to do that. I don't want to do this. You know, and he showed me so kindly. He showed me that he didn't have a plan B; only has plan A. And he says, "I've called you so that you will learn how to love my people, and also called you that you might help them to become have well brighter wedding garments when my son returns." It's your job. That's what I'm commissioning you to do: is that you will help them to have brighter wedding garments. Some of the garments that my people are wearing are sin-stained, and they need to be ready for my son's return. So I want you to preach and to pastor and to love and to do that kind of thing. 
That's why I'll give an account to for God, to God someday. Did I do that to the best of my ability? But it just, you know, we have my, my, my sister felt called to be a nurse. Deep in her heart, she, my sister said, God's calling me to be a nurse. I know it. She was a Christian. She was called to salvation, but God had called her to be a nurse. And so as she helped people, she said, she also brought the influence of Jesus. She said, God's called me to do this. I, I need to touch people with, with Jesus. Loved ones, I'm saying that you're called too. You're called too. Your salvation is tied up with a vocation that you're involved with. You're called to be what you're doing. And Jesus wants you to faithfully bring his influence into whatever your scope is that you're doing. Are you a business person? Are you in the medical field? Are you a farmer? Are you, are you, you know, are you, are you, are you, are you, are you retired? Whatever it is, your calling is to whatever you're doing, you are called to bring the influence of Jesus, the, the salvation that is at work in you, to bring that to the surface and bring it to other people. That's a great responsibility. That's what Matthew 25 is all about, about the, you know, the, you don't want to bury your salvation experience in the ground and not grow in it. You want to continue to follow the Lord, be sanctified and, and daily, and, and you want to use his, his, his power. You want to use his grace in your life to, to touch other people, to, to grow. And where you were only two strength one time, you can be four, and then at five, you can be ten. Because someday you'll stand before him and you'll have to give an account. As we stand before this, some people will lose some rewards because they're not, they haven't surrendered. They haven't crucified self. That's our great, that's the goal. Now, finally being with God at home. For me, I think it's, you know, I know someday I will retire. There'll be someday, you know, when I'm 70 or whatever, 80, whatever. But you know what? I, he's already talked to me about that. You're, I'll have something else for you to be doing. Not just sitting around. You'll be doing something as long as you're able to glory to spread the influence of Jesus before you finally go home. That's why he's got us here. He's ready for us to come home. I mean, he wants us home, but he's using us here to glorify him. That's what he wants. Lord, today as we leave, we thank you for, thank you so much for people's kind attention. I pray that you'll help us to see your wonderful, loving intentions. You are so gracious and, and loving us so, and you've demonstrated it so clearly. Help us to see that, the, that again, that you just want to welcome us. You're, even now you're, you're, you're wanting us to come home, but it's, there's a time that you want us to be there. And right now your time is for us to be here, continue to be changed and to continue to, to spread your influence, the influence of your goodness and love to other people. I pray, Lord, we'll be encouraged to know that we've just got the best of any world possible because we have Jesus in our life. Because not only the greatest blessing here, but also <laughs> blessings beyond comprehension to come. I pray, Father, that you'll help us to realize that, that you've called us to be saved and you've called us to do what we're doing in life, to be a, 
to bless you and to carry your influence to other people, those that you bring to us, those that we're around. In Jesus' name, we want to say yes to you today. Amen.